Well, imagine with me a headline. Newsflash. We are all on a mission for security. And this mission, this search for security, may look a little different in our lives, but it starts early on for most, if not all, of us here in this room today. Early on, we look for security in a parent, or in a blanket, or in a doll, or a stuffed animal, a stuffy, as they're called in my house. And then we look for security a little later on in maybe our report card, or our friendships, or our safe space. And then at some point on this mission, we, we come to look for security even more intensely in family or friendships, in, in our job or title, past, present, or future, in our spouse if we're married, in our children if we have children. We look for security intensely in our, our bank accounts, our portfolio or assets, the stock market, our social status, in our health, our, our accomplishments, or in the president or the government, which will be a major temptation for many in this season. We're all on a mission for security, and we look for it in people, places, and things like these all the time. But here's the problem. All of these will come and go. Over time, they will prove themselves transient. They'll let us down. Every person, place, and thing that is here today might be gone tomorrow. And in one form or another, we will face real insecurity. And so in a world of transient security, how can we be sure and secure about Jesus and salvation in Him? I mean, serious question. Can we even be sure and secure in Him? And if we can, what promise, what assurances has He given His people to provide surety and security? Well, please open with me in your Bible to the book of John. John is the fourth book of the New Testament. We're going to be residing in John chapter 10 this morning. John chapter 10 this morning. If you do not have a Bible with you, you can find a Bible in the pew near you. You can find John on page 886. 886. If you're new to reading the Bible, the big numbers are the chapter numbers, and the small numbers are the verse numbers. And we will all be helped to keep our Bibles open to John chapter 10 today as we continue our series through this book. We're going to be looking at the whole chapter this morning, but let me read just the first six verses. John 10, verses 1 through 6. This is the best part of the message right here. Truly, truly, I say to you, 
He who does not enter the sheepfold by the gate, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought all of his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, and they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. This figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. This is God's word for the church. Thanks be to God. Let's say that together. Thanks be to God. Amen. Let's pray and ask the Lord to both bless the reading and the applying of his word to our lives this morning. Father, we praise you and thank you for your living and active and enduring word. And Holy Spirit, we ask that you would turn the lights on in our hearts and minds now. That we would put away distraction. That you would give us a supernatural focus. And we ask, Lord, that you would cause us to behold the glory of, of Jesus this morning. And Lord, I, I ask that you would strengthen your weak servant. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing to you, our rock and our redeemer. It's in the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, just to reestablish where we have been in the book of John thus far, in, in chapters 1 through chapter 9, we have beheld the person and work of Jesus, the promised one who is the Word and Lamb Rescuer, the sovereign relationship initiator, the amazing sign worker, the kingdom fulfiller, the new heart maker, the Messiah, redeemer, the Savior, healer, the greater prophet and soul satisfier, the spiritual thirst quencher, the majestic light bringer, and the great I am and sight giver. Jesus is magnificent. None can compare. And this morning we arrive at chapter 10 and this chapter is penned by John, the beloved disciple of Jesus, under the inspiration of, Holy Spirit, of the Holy Spirit. And we see here in John chapter 10 that Jesus is not just all of these, but He is also the Good Shepherd who saves and secures His sheep. And that's the, the big idea of chapter 10. Jesus is the Good Shepherd who saves and secures his sheep. And we see this point in the chapter as John moves from the good shepherd and his sheep in verses 1 through 21 to the good shepherd and his promise in verses 22 to 30. And then third, the good shepherd and his opposition in verses 31 to 42. That's the outline for this morning. First, the good shepherd and his sheep. Then, the good shepherd and his promise. Third, the good shepherd and his opposition. So, point one, the shepherd and his sheep. Look with me once again there at chapter 10, verses 1, verse 1, but we're going to read through to 21. 
Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the sheep, the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens, the sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought all of his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, and they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. This figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. So Jesus again said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. For this reason, the Father loves me because I lay down my life and that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. There was again a division among the Jews because of these words. Many of them said, He has a demon and is insane. Why listen to him? Others said, These are not the words of one who is oppressed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? Well, today we arrive at one of the most weighty, but also most precious passages and images in all of Scripture. And that's the image of Jesus as the shepherd of his sheep. And in this passage, John is pulling from the rich shepherd imagery from the Old Testament, from Psalm 23 that was read earlier, to Psalm 100. Verse 3, where we read, Know that the Lord, He is God. It is He who made us, and we are His. We are His people. Catch this. And the sheep of His pasture. To Isaiah 40, verse 11, He will tend His flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in His arms. He will carry them in His bosom and gently lead those that are with young. Do you want to know what God is like? He is a shepherd, the shepherd of his people. But in order to grasp the magnitude of Jesus' words here in this imagery, it's really important that we, that we see it in its, its setting, what these words were, or where these words were originally spoken. If you remember from chapter 9, Jesus has just given sight to a blind man. But as we saw, it was not just physical sight that, that Jesus gave him, Jesus gave him spiritual sight, eyes of faith to see the glory of God in the face of Jesus. And that man was saved from spiritual darkness. And in response to this, the Jewish leaders, we we read there 
in chapter 9, verse 34, kicked that man out of the temple. And this revealed that they and so many of God's historical people who had not come to see and believe in Jesus were sightless, spiritually blind, unable to see Jesus as Savior and Redeemer. And what their casting out of the man fully and kind of further revealed was that they were bad and blind shepherds who, as Jesus says in chapter 10, there in verses 1 and 2, have not entered the sheepfold, which in this context uh, would have been like a sheep pen, full of different shepherd's sheep. A communal pen that the shepherds would, would put their sheep in, say, overnight when they went into town. These bad and blind shepherds did not enter the door or, or the gatekeeper of the sheepfold, but climbed in another way like a thief. They were the bad and blind shepherds that were, verse 5, strangers to the sheep. They were bad and blind shepherds that, as Jesus says there in verses 8 through 10, and 8 and 10, I should say, are thieves and robbers who have come to kill and steal and destroy the sheep. They were the bad and blind shepherds who, in verses 12 through 13, were like hired hands. Hired hands that that didn't own the sheep, that actually cared nothing for the sheep. And when the wolves came to devour them, they fled. And where is much of this imagery coming from? What Old Testament passage are, are all these accusations by Jesus connected to? Well, Ezekiel 34. Ezekiel 34. You don't have to turn there, but just listen as I read Ezekiel 34. It's going to read just a, a handful of verses from that chapter. The word of the Lord came to me, son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to them, even to the shepherds, thus says the Lord God, ah, shepherds of Israel who have been feeding themselves. Should not shepherds feed the sheep? You eat the fat, you clothe yourself with the wool, you slaughter the fat ones, but you do not feed the sheep. The weak you have not strengthened. The sick you have not healed. The injured you have not bound up. The strayed you have not brought back. The lost you have not sought. And with force and harshness you have ruled them. And then further down, verse 11 of Ezekiel 34. For thus says the Lord God, Behold, I, I myself will search for my sheep, and I will seek them out. As a shepherd seeks out his flock when he is among his sheep that have been scattered so will I seek out my sheep, and I will rescue them from all places. And then further down in verse 15, I myself will be the shepherd of my sheep, and I myself will make them lie down, declares the Lord God. I will seek the lost. I will bring back the strayed. I will bind up the injured, and I will strengthen the weak, and the, and the fat and the strong I will destroy. I will feed them in justice. Here the Lord speaks words of aggressive rebuke to these bad shepherds of Israel. There in verses 1 through 5. But did you notice how the Lord moves to speaking words of future salvation and comfort in verses 11 through 16? Did you notice all of the I wills in those latter verses? Well, who is the shepherd who has done this work and continues to do this work in the already 
and the not yet. Who is the fulfillment of this redemption and rescue, this salvation and security? It's okay to say it out loud. It's Jesus. It's Jesus. The, as it says in verse 14, in that I am statement, I am the good shepherd. And he saves and secures his sheep. And again, Jesus is not using language. It's just pulled out of thin air. In Scripture, we see a long line of shepherds, don't we? Maybe you're thinking of some now. From Adam, whose role was to shepherd his wife and shepherd creation. To Abel, to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob, to Rachel, to David, to Amos, to Zechariah, to the shepherds who, you guessed it, heard Christ is born on the night of his birth. Shepherding is a core theme in the storyline of Scripture from beginning to end. And Jesus is picking up this theme here, and he says, I am the good shepherd. He is the one that Psalm 23 spoke of, that he is the one Ezekiel and the prophets spoke of. And in contrast to the unfaithful shepherds, he is the faithful shepherd and faithful gate of his sheep. And when he, verse 3, calls and speaks, what do his sheep do? They listen. They listen. Which begs the question, how has the good shepherd spoken to his flock? Through his good word. In the word, we hear the voice of the shepherd. And so if your Bible is closed and on the shelf, you will not hear the voice of the shepherd. So, is it open? And are you listening? Are you regularly opening God's Word humbly and eagerly waiting to hear from your shepherd? The central mark of a Christian, one who is part of Christ's flock, is his or her ability to hear the voice of Jesus. So are you listening? If not, what voice are you listening to? What voices are you listening to? Your own? The voice of others? Voices on television or on, on the radio? Voices that confirm your own biases, your thoughts, your convictions? Voices of those in verse 5, of strangers, of false teachers on TBN or YouTube? Those who aim to kill and steal and destroy your soul? who you ought to flee from? What voice or voices are you listening to? Well, bringing this further down to our life together at HFBC, we should be asking, what voice are we listening to? What voices are we listening to? And beloved, this is why we preach expositionally here week after week. This is why we open God's Word week after week here on Sunday mornings. This is why we open God's Word in our, our men's ministry, in our women's ministry, in our children's ministry, in every other ministry of the church. We open God's Word because we don't come to church, to, to, this, to this building. We don't come to be with the body of Christ, who is the church, to just hear from a man. But we come to hear from the shepherd himself. We come to hear from his Word. So are you listening to him? 
Well, there's so much more here. So much more. For we find that the shepherd who speaks to his sheep also in verses 3-6 through six, knows his sheep and has called them by name. And so, if, if you are a, a sheep in God's flock, then you are known by name. This is important. Not just generally, but intimately. He knows you. He knows your highs and your lows. Your joys and your sorrows. Your, your comforts and your, your momentary afflictions. He knows whether you are in the shadow land or in the pasture land. The Good Shepherd sovereignly knows His sheep by name. And He speaks and He knows. In verse 4, He leads them. What we've got to see here is that Jesus isn't just the shepherd, right, here in, the, in these verses. He is also the door, or the gate to the flock. That's the other I am statement in this section in John chapter 10. This is what we see in verse 2 and then in in verses 7-14, through 14, that the Good Shepherd's people, His sheep, can only pass through Him for salvation, for security, for spiritual survival. This is exclusive. Jesus is the only door into the flock of God's people. There is no other. And one must pass through Him to be saved. This means that all of their doors and all of their worldly shepherds will leave you lost, dazed and confused, unsaved, unsafe, insecure. All of their doors will overpromise and underdeliver. And so what door are you looking to for salvation today and for life today? What doors are you maybe tempted to step through for those things today? Jesus is the only door. And when we step through Him and over the threshold by pure sovereign grace into His flock, we step into a pasture land of grace, brothers and sisters. And one, as we read in verse 10, of abundant life. Oh, and, and, and friend, the only way to attain this abundant life and to become a part of God's flock, the only way is by repenting and believing in the Gospel. The good news of the Good Shepherd. And where and how has, has that Gospel work been done? Well, on the cross. On the cross, 2,000 years ago, the wolf of God's wrath came down against sin that sought to devour. The, the, the wolf of, of death that sought to devour God's people. He came down and it sank its teeth deep into Jesus, the Good Shepherd. On the cross, Jesus took the bite of wrath that we deserved as our Good Shepherd and our substitute. On the cross, Christ stood in the place for all who are His, who hear His voice. He is the one who has laid His life down for the sheep. Something we are and we're unable to do. But death did not have the last word in Jesus' life. For three days later, he, the good shepherd was resurrected in power and glory, declaring victory over sin and death. This is what Christ has done for his sheep through the life, through his life and death and resurrection, friends. This is what he has done. 
And when he said, it is finished, on the cross, and when he rose again, he put to death the wolf of sin and death. He put to death the wolves of the world, the flesh, and the enemy of our souls. This is what Christ has done for his sheep. This is the good news of the gospel. All praise to him. If you're here this morning and you have not repented of your sin, all of those ways that you are, are disobeying and rejecting the good shepherd, finding life in, through the door of, of worldly things, worldly people, worldly places. If you have questions about this, I'm going to be standing in the back after the service. I would love to talk with you. Or you can reach out to one of the other pastors here. Or you can reach out to maybe someone who was smiling in the pew as I was sharing that good news. They would love to speak with you. But if you are a part of God's flock here at HFBC, then there are some key kind of final points of application before we get to the shorter points of verse 2 and 3. Before we get to those points, there's some application for us here. First, God has one flock. This is what we read in verse 16. He doesn't have two flocks. He doesn't have two peoples. He doesn't have two brides. He has one flock. And God's flock belongs to him. This is, there is not a single sheep on the earth which God does not claim mine. And he has one people made up of Jews and Gentiles. That's what we read there in verse 16. Those not of that fold that are from every tongue and tribe and nation. And there's one flock globally, but the global flock is expressed in local flocks like HFBC all over the world. As David prayed earlier, that have covenanted together in, in church membership. Which is why we're going to have a membership class on February 11th. And you're invited to attend. Well, second, the second point of application here is this. Jesus is the senior pastor, the chief shepherd of his church. Jesus alone. But he does appoint under shepherds to, to lead in his stead. And those under shepherds are men who are called pastors, elders, overseers to guide and to guard and to give the flock his word. And so this passage speaks directly to the shepherds, the elders here at HFBC. And so, brothers, we aren't a board of businessmen. We're not a, a group of decision makers. We're not simply uh, a, a team of, of guys just planning events. That's unbiblical. We're a team of shepherds. And so, brothers, we are called to oversee God's flock in word and prayer with the, with the character of 1 Timothy, with the doctrine of Titus, with the care of 1 Peter 5, with the love of the Good Shepherd here in John 10. And so, Brothers, may we pursue faithful shepherding. Faithful shepherding that imitates and upholds the, the Good Shepherd. <laughs> Points to the Good Shepherd. Let's continue to know the flock. Let's continue to lead gently and faithfully and eagerly. May we care for the, care for the flock. Sacrifice for the flock. Watch over the flock. We'll never perfect this, brothers. 
But we can pursue this with the Spirit's help. Well, there's yet another application here. And that's to the men in this congregation. Men, you, you are called to shepherd your home. Lead your home. To follow the good shepherd as you lead the gift of family that, you've given, that he's given you. And, and whether, whether you're married or not, no matter your age and stage, you are to pursue holiness. You are to feed on God's Word. If you are married, you are to spiritually lead and shepherd your spouse. If you have children, you are to lead by opening God's Word and praying for your children. This is your responsibility. Brothers, go to church then. Read. Pray. Be watchful, as Paul says in 1 Corinthians 16. Be watchful. Stand firm. Act like men. Be strong. Not in a machismo, like Western way, but in a clear, convictional, and Christ-like way. Well, looking at verses 19 to 21, we see that the Good Shepherd preaches this sermon and declares these things about himself and the sheep. And what, what happens? There's division. Some think that he's possessed and insane. Others are asking the question that was asked back in chapter 9, verse 33. But can a demon-possessed man open the eyes of the blind? Here's the point. Jesus came to his own. He came to the bad and blind shepherds of Israel. And in their unrighteousness, and in their pride, in their sightlessness, the majority of them rejected the good shepherd. But Jesus presses on here. That leads us to point two, the shepherd and his promise. Look with me at verses 22 to 33. Or 30, sorry. At that time, the Feast of Dedication took place at Jerusalem. It was winter, and Jesus was walking in the temple in the colonnade of Solomon. So the Jews gathered around him and said to him, How long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. Jesus answered them, I told you, and you do not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name bear witness about me. But you do not believe because you are not among my sheep. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me, and I give them eternal life. And they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. Well, there in verse 22, we see what has been called the festival cycle in John's Gospel continue. That cycle began back in chapter 5 with the festival of the Sabbath. And then we saw the festival of the Passover in chapter 6. And then the festival of tabernacles or shelters there in chapter 7. And now we arrive at the last festival in the cycle in John's Gospel, the Feast of Dedication. And this feast celebrated the rededication, or what's another word for this is reconsecration, of the temple in December of 164 B.C. After a king named Antiochus Epiphanes defiled the temple by killing a pig on the altar. Because of this heinous act, the festival of dedication celebrated a rededication or purifying of the temple. We're going to come back to this in point three. Now, now some call this feast the festival of 
of dedication or the Feast of Dedication, but it's most often called Hanukkah. It's probably what you know it, what you know it as. Well, this feast is at hand, and John notes in verse 22 that it's winter, and the Good Shepherd is in the warm temple. He's walking in Solomon's colonnade, but there is a chill in the air, literally and spiritually. And we read verse 24 that a crowd of sightless shepherds that we saw back in the last point gather around him. And they really enclose him like a pack of ravenous wolves. And they bring another question to Jesus. They ask, how long are you going to keep us in suspense, Jesus? If you are the Christ, can you just tell us plainly? What we need to recognize here is this is not a real question. They don't really want to know. They're looking to incriminate him. And so Jesus says in verses 25 to 26, I already have told you, and you don't believe. Jesus has already given them every reason in his words and in his works to believe and to see him clearly. And some have come to see, right? As we've seen in John thus far. Some have come to see him, to to believe in him, to believe in his words and his works. But many, especially the leaders, have not. They're like the man back in chapter 9 who was blind and deaf. And this reveals, verse 26, that they are not part of God's people. They're not part of God's flock. These are devastating words. Devastating words. And beloved, it can't get any clearer. Jesus came to his own, his historical people, and many rejected him. They couldn't hear him, know him, or follow him. But though Jesus came to his own, to Israel, where he was rejected, he makes it abundantly clear here that he has come for his own. All of his sheep from every tongue and tribe and nation, past, present, and future. And this is the truth of John 10, that he is the good shepherd that has come to his flock to save and secure them eternally. And further, here is the good news of John 10. After this pronouncement of judgment to these bad and blind shepherds, he makes a promise to his flock, an assurance to those who hear him, those who are known by him and follow him. And that promise is read there in verses 28 to 29, that he has and will give life, eternal life to his flock, that none of them will perish, that none can snatch them out of his hand. Because his father, notice not the Jewish leader's father, but his father, who is greater than all, has given the flock to him, and no one, no thief or robber or bad shepherd, will be able to snatch them out of his hand, out of the father's hand. Oh, in a world of insecurity, this is your promise of security, Christian. These words are for you. These words are for us, beloved. Yesterday, today, and on the last day when we stand before Jesus in glory. When we stand before our shepherd. And so, when you are struggling with assurance, look to Christ and to this promise. When you are struggling and doubting with God's goodness and mercy, Look to Christ and this promise. When you are second-guessing your faith, 
look to Christ and to this promise. When you are anxious and wondering if God sees you, if He even cares for you, if He is in you or for you, look to Christ and this promise. Open these words and hear the promise of the shepherd's voice. Feed on these words, for they are securing in times of insecurity. And they are an anchor of hope to us. Because they are given by the promise-making and promise-keeping good shepherd king of love. Well, Jesus grounds this promise in his divinity. That's what we see there in verse 30. Jesus returns to their question and answers them clearly. He says that he and the Father are one. And why is this significant? Well, it's been noted that Jesus literally says, almost verbatim, parallel to the words of Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4, where we read what's called the Shema. We read those familiar words. Shema Israel Adonai Echenu Adonai Echad. Hear, O Israel, the Lord, your God, our God, the Lord is one. And here Jesus is yet again saying, I am the Messiah. I am God. I am the second person of the Trinity, co-equal in power and glory. I and the Father are one. So believe in me. Jesus can't get any clearer. And here he invites you to come through him, through the gate, into his flock, and into his pasture land of abundant life, as we saw in point one. And he's inviting you to come through him and, and into him for salvation and security, as we've seen here in these words. The question is, do you believe in him? Do you believe in him? Well, as we come to the close of this section, the question is, in response to the pronouncement and judgment of these bad and blind shepherds of Israel in verse 26, we hear this anchoring promise of assurance to God's people. And the question is, will these blind and bad shepherds repent and believe? Will their followers repent and believe and come to to listen to and follow Jesus, the good shepherd? Well, let's see. Let's see what happens. Look with me at point three, the shepherd and his opposition, verses 31 to 42. Look there with me. The Jews picked up stones again to stone him. Jesus answered them, I have shown you many good works from the Father. For which of them are you going to stone me? The Jews answered him, It is not for a good work that we're going to stone you, but for blasphemy, because you, being a man, make yourself God. Jesus answered them, Is it not written in your law, I said, you are gods? If he called them gods to whom the word of God came, and Scripture cannot be broken, do you say of him whom the Father consecrated and sent into the world, you are blaspheming because I said, I am the Son of God? If I am not doing the works of my Father, then do not believe me. But if I do them, even though you do not believe me, believe the works that you may know and understand that the Father is in me and I am in the Father. Again, they sought to arrest him, but he escaped from their hand. He went away across the Jordan to the place where John had been baptizing at first, and there he remained. And many came to him, and they said, John did no sign, but everything that John said about this man was true, and many believed in him there. Well, we read here in verse 31 that instead of savoring Jesus' words, instead of worshiping him, what do they do? 
they seek to stone him. Again. But instead of withdrawing and slipping away, the good shepherd confronts his opposition. He, he confronts the wolves, the leaders in this last showdown. This is the last showdown that he has with the, with the leadership before we're in Caiaphas' chamber in chapter 18, before Jesus' crucifixion. And notice that in this confrontation with his blind opposition, Jesus brings two witnesses to them to kind of uphold his, his divinity and the truth that he is the good shepherd. He brings first the witness of his works in verses 32 to 33. And then he brings the witness of Scripture in verses 34 to 38. First, he says, let me show you that I am God. Let me show you that, that I and the Father are one. Just look at Look at the works that my father sent me to do. Look at how I turned water into wine in Cana. Look, look at how I healed that Gentile Roman official son. Look at how I healed that paralyzed man back, back in Bethesda. Or fed the 5,000. Or healed the blind man. And then he asks, are you going to stone me for one of these? And they say, no, 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 no. We're not going to stone you for one of these. No, no. We're going to stone you for blasphemy. Because you, a man, verse 33, make yourself God. Isn't this just dripping with irony? Because they're right. He is. And yet they are slipping and tripping in opposition over his words and his work. But the good shepherd presses on to his second witness, the witness of, of Scripture. And he says, verse 34, is it not written in your law, which is the Old Testament, I said you are gods? If he called them gods to whom the word of God came, and Scripture cannot be broken, do you say of him whom the Father consecrated and sent into the world, you are blaspheming because I said I am the Son of God? If I am not doing the works of my Father, then do not believe me. But if I do them, even though you do not believe me, believe the works that you may know and understand that the Father is in me and I am in the Father. Now, this may seem strange at first reading. These, are, these verses are not typically what you find, you know, cross-stitched into the, into the pillow or put on the, on the quilt. You may be thinking, uh, Jesus, is this the best you've got? I mean, this is your last major showdown? Is this it? But beloved, this is, this is really powerful. This is incredibly powerful because here, Jesus quotes from God's Word, right? So he, he's quoting from God's Word, that is, as it says in verse 35, unbroken, meaning perfect and profitable, sufficient. So here he is, he is validating the sufficiency of Scripture, and he is validating his own divinity. He's about to connect his ministry as a fulfillment of the Feast of Dedication. and he. And so he quotes here, he, he quotes an obscure psalm, Psalm 82, verse 6, where we read that God calls the rulers and the shepherd leaders of God's people, not uppercase gods, but lowercase gods. They were men who were set apart, dedicated, consecrated for gracious rule and shepherding care of God's people. But because of sin and corruption, they would as it says at the close of Psalm 82, they would be judged and Christ would inherit the nations. 
And so Jesus uses Psalm 82 as a backboard to bounce off to his own divinity and his own ministry as the better shepherd and fulfillment of the temple dedication here. And so Jesus is making an amazing point. So are, are you ready? Are you, are you ready for this? Are you with me? Okay. All right. First, he is saying that the consecrated religious leaders were, were called lowercase gods in Psalm 82 and were to be judged because of sin and corruption. How could they then, who are, who are called lowercase gods, judge the son of uppercase God? What sin, what crime, what, what blasphemy did he actually commit that is worthy of judgment? So he's asking them. But he's also, second, Jesus is saying that he is declaring that he is the consecrated, that, that word is key, he is the consecrated sent one, the uppercase God-man who has come to fulfill the feast of dedication. Because he is the consecrated and dedicated one that is far greater than the physical temple that is being rededicated. Because he is the true temple. As John said back in chapter 2, He's bringing that theme back to bear on our our lives here. And therefore, as God and the Good Shepherd, true salvation and true security and true worship can only be found not by stepping through the door of a rededicated, rededicated temple, but stepping through the door into the pasture land of Jesus. The door to abundant life. And in the end, His works and words proclaim this because verse 38, he is in the Father, and the Father is in him. And he is worthy. Oh, he is worthy of all worship and adoration and exaltation. Oh, in the face of opposition, Jesus cannot get any clearer. Well, after Jesus connects all of this for them in that moment, They can't see him, but they hear him all right. And so they seek to arrest him. But he evades. He evades them. In verses 40 to 42, we read that he goes across the Jordan. Now, Jesus won't return to Jerusalem again until the triumphal entry. He departs Jerusalem, and he goes into the wilderness across the Jordan. And John tells us he goes to the place where John, this is John the Baptist, by the way, not John the author, Maria the John, John the Baptist, who had since died, had been baptizing at first, and, and there he remained. And many came to him, and they said, John did no sign, but everything that John said about this man was true, and many believed in him there. What's the point of this geographical addition and note from John? Well, in, in Jerusalem, the good shepherd was cast out for blasphemy, right? He was cast out by his own. But across the Jordan, in the wilderness, he is received and welcomed by his people. For there, many came to believe in him, as the text says, to find salvation and security in him and become sheep of his pasture. What grace, what mercy, what a shepherd. The question is, what are you going to do with Jesus today? The Good Shepherd, the Door, the Son of God who who came to save and secure 
his sheep? Will you be like those in Jerusalem? Or be like those who were across the Jordan? Will you hear the voice of Jesus today? Rest in his promises. Rest in his assurances. Will you come to feed in the, the verdant pasture of life? Will you come to believe in the Good Shepherd and become part of his eternally saved and secure flock? That is the question. Well, in closing, as we come to the end of this chapter, the explicit mentioning of John the Baptist signals to us a bookend, what's called an inclusio, a fancy word for a bookend. And that started back in chapter 1 and is bookended here at the close of chapter 10. And this section, the section that we're about to go into, Lord willing, next week, is a transitional section from chapters 11 to 13. Because in chapter 13, we are told that the hour of Christ has come. The anticipated hour. I look forward to getting there with you, Lord willing. But until then, what we need to recognize and close with today is that even greater things in Christ are still yet to behold. Greater things are yet to come here in in the gospel according to John. Are you looking forward to that? Let me pray. Father, Son, and Spirit of all sufficient grace, we ask that you'd cause your word to plant deep in us, to give us what we have not, Lord, to teach us what we know not, to make us what we are not. And we ask you, Good Shepherd, that you would lead us and feed us, convict us and comfort us to the glory and honor and praise of your name. In Jesus' name that we pray, amen.